You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. That is right, game seven, baby. <laughs> Bucks Celtics going to seven as the Bucks win 97-86 in game six. I'm Eric Name, ESPN Milwaukee Bucks reporter. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Also, he's the founder of Brew Hoop. And thinking about this game a little bit, Frank, I, I don't know what else to think other than Game 7, baby. Yeah, I feel like that, uh, the Game 7 Zaza quote, um, I feel like it, it hasn't gotten enough run of late. I feel like, you know, maybe maybe when we had Vine in the good old days of Twitter, yeah. of like two, two years ago when, whenever Vine disappeared, um, we heard more of the, the Zaza quick, quick hits. Because um, you would really have to yeah. go through some work to get the Zaza out right now. Like, you would have to cut it into an mp4 and then like post the mp4 like it would be a whole process yeah, it's annoying. Like, you could just in the past you know throw in the vine link and then it's game seven baby all over the place yeah yeah it's it's too bad i mean twitter twitter has actually i think done a lot right uh and and is doing better but uh it's pivot away from video and vine was was disappointing anyway who cares <laughs> um I, I and again i i mentioned this the other day so i had a weird experience watching this game because we had very different experiences. You were sitting in press row inside the Bradley Center. Uh, I was driving um, from Dallas to Austin through most of it. And then um, we had my, I had my wife DVR it and I got home and direct TV. I have like a season pass for, to, to record Bucks games. And so it was set to record. The problem is direct TV still thinks that it can record games off of Fox sports, Wisconsin, which is channel six, six, nine on direct TV. And of course, during the playoffs, those games are blacked out because they're all on national TV. So like it screwed up. And basically, I, I missed the first six minutes of game action. So when I got home at like nine o'clock, um, I turned it on and it, yeah, I've, I've missed the first six minutes. So that that was well, apparently I didn't miss much because it was 10 six Celtics at that point. But um, but then watching the game, I was I put my phones. I have two phones, a work phone and a regular phone. I put them in another room. I didn't want to be tempted to look and accidentally see anything. I didn't want anybody to text me anything because um, I knew if the Bucks won, like people would probably text me. Yep. Um, so I wanted to kind of have it away for me. And then, or if the Bucks watch- lost, everyone would text you like hashtag Never Trust the Bucks or something. Like you, no matter what, you're getting reaction on your phone. Yeah, people would tweet at me. I don't think any of my friends like care enough about the Bucks <laughs> to, to hashtag Never. They they don't know that enough about the Bucks. My <laughs> friends who are not Bucks fans, yeah, um, do know to tweet to text me if things go well. So. Um, so anyway, so I'm watching the game and then I realized the DVR has only recorded an hour 30 and I'm like, there's no oh, way it no. captured the whole game. So, um, I then started recording, uh, like, a, another block that came after the game and I'm like, I think I, I think I might not have like a 15 minute P 
period of potentially the end of the game. So I'm like dreading getting to the end of the, the DVR recording. And uh, <laughs> as it turned out, like TNT just had like a really screwed up like schedule tonight. I think it's be- I think it was because like, you know, it was all TBD, like which NBA yeah. games were tonight. So long story short, um, I was able to watch the whole game once I started. Um, but uh, there was a little bit of drama with that. And it was weird because I wasn't tweeting. I wasn't reading Twitter. And it was actually very nice because I could just sort of like fast forward through free throws and like not be tweeting my anxieties or reading other people's <laughs> anxieties. It was actually like a much more um, calm and steady way to to kind of go through and watch an NBA basketball game. And I don't know if the way I watched it had something to do with it, but I I never felt like the Bucks were going to lose this game. I don't know. Were, did you feel that way? Like just watching the game? I mean, they started poorly. Um, may, maybe the worst, was this the worst, like first six seven minutes. or eight minutes, yeah. six minutes of, 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 uh, I mean, I guess we, they had some really bad second halves of the first quarter and the first two games, but it felt like this was one of the worst starts that the Bucks have had. And it just seemed like a matter of time though, because man, they finished every quarter really well tonight. And kind of once they got out of the doldrums a little bit at the end of the first quarter, um, they they just seemed to take control, and again there were kind of ebbs and flows, and obviously uh, the fourth quarter was was close for most of it. I think what the Celtics tied it at one point, but I, I don't know. I, it just felt like like whenever I just like watched the Celtics, like I, I was just like, all right, like sometimes the Bucks would you know not be great at the point of attack, and a guy would get to the rim, and they'd have to rotate, and then you know and then they might be able to might give up an open three, but I don't know. The Celtics just weren't scary tonight, and. Um, the Bucks. It just it just felt like I trusted Chris and Giannis in particular to to make plays when when the Bucks needed them, and um, that's that's a cool thing to say because obviously it, it always starts with those guys, and um, they they play both played very well. Middleton somehow only took eight shots, but it's seven, and <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon, you know, has had kind of a quiet series the last few games, especially since he started. hasn't really had any like big offensive nights, but tonight he goes five out of seven from the field. Um, five out of seven from the line, 16 points. And, uh, you know, he was, he was good. And, um, again, the rest of the role players, maybe not standouts. Um, I thought fun was probably better than his stat line suggested, but, um, you know, I think the big story, you know, and again, we talked about how overrated the Giannis not taking enough shots storyline is given how he was passing and, you know, making, I think right plays. And you wrote about that, uh, at ASPN Wisconsin, but, um, you know, again, seeing Giannis come through with 31 points, 14 boards, four assists, two steals. I think, what, did he have, like, at how many points? Did he have, like, a 12 points in the fourth quarter, I think, something like that? 12 and 5 um, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, seeing him do that, um, that's just fun, you know? I mean, again, it's, uh, yep. it, 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 depending on what happens on Saturday, I mean, if they lose, it's going to be really frustrating to look back and, and, and not have won this series, but... It was also it's also been really fun seeing the Bucks respond to the pressure of being down and winning two games at home and three and four and then losing game five and coming back and, you know, asserting that, yeah, hey, we're, we're the more talented team. We're the better team. Let's go win this game. And um, again, do you trust them to finally go win a game on the road? Uh, I don't know. They're not going to be favored on Saturday by by any stretch. But um, I think, again, it, it it's it's a positive step for a team that obviously is trying to build for the long term and, and wants to win the series. It would be huge if they could win the series. But um, again, I think, you know, every playoff win is is a step in the right direction. And um, tonight was obviously a, a, a fun, a fun atmosphere, potentially the last game at the Bradley Center. And 
kudos to the Bucks for for giving themselves at least a chance to make it not the last game at the Bradley Center. Yeah, I guess uh, the one thing you did miss was Semi Ojale's only shot of the game. Um, that was a missed three pointer. Um, you missed that in the first couple minutes, so I don't know if that's a big deal or not. But um, yeah, it was it was an ugly start, and I guess for me, I, I don't know if it was it was nerves. Um, I, I just kind of thought through before this game. Uh, I think there was a weird. And I shouldn't say it's not confidence because people covering the game like aren't really thinking like, oh, I'm confident in my team. Like just thinking through it, like my very informal poll of media members was like, yeah, there's probably gonna be a game seven. And it just this series is in such a strange spot because seemingly role players are swinging every game. Like the Giannis has been consistently good throughout this series. Chris has been consistently good throughout this series. Al Horford, I think, has been consistently good throughout this series. And uh, one of Tatum or Brown is normally good. And then it's just kind of those others that are swinging games. And um, I just felt like okay, at in Milwaukee, it's going to be someone from the Bucks that swings it. Um, and you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon. I think he was one of the guys that, that helped swing this game. And um, you mentioned the the kind of feeling that Giannis, like j- just how good it felt that Giannis kind of took that game over in the fourth quarter, got to those spots and hit those shots. And to me, that was in the piece I wrote at ESPN Wisconsin, like, the the thing I've been thinking about these last couple of days is like there's no doubt that Giannis made the right plays in Game Five, but also that might not be his role with this team. Like this this team kind of needs an MFR at times uh, to grab the ball and say I'm going to score. And I just thought there was so much strength in the moves that he made. There was so much conviction in the moves that he made that in the first half you saw a bunch of hook shots. Um, in the second half, you just saw him getting those step-back jumpers, knowing that whoever was on him was not going to touch it and just, you know, floating it in. And it just felt like he knew that he could get where he wanted and he knew the shots that were going to be there when he got there. And he just took care of business. And uh, in the post-game, Joe Prunty had pointed out the one play – I'm trying to think who missed it, but there was that longish rebound that goes up, and Giannis goes up, who knows how high in the air, 12 feet in the air, grabs it with two hands, keeps the ball high, goes glass, and it was just one of those plays that helped kind of swing this, that Giannis and his will were not going to let the Bucks lose this game. And um, as far as like confidence or feeling like the Celtics were ever going to run, run away with it, it felt like every time they had that chance – there were the Bucks. Like uh, there was a bunch of times when it was Giannis. There was a couple times where it was Chris, even though he didn't shoot a lot. There, there was that stretch in the third quarter where the Bucks were just hammering that Middleton wing uh, post up, and he was just going to get the Bucks a good shot. And I thought that's exactly kind of what happened. So, uh, I, I, the one thing I will say is. That was a perfect encapsulation of why Eric Bledsoe is infuriating to watch. Because oh, as as you watch that, there's just there's a couple plays I think about. There was a bucket in the first half 
where he like finished through whoever, whatever guard was on him at the time. It was the, I mean, the trademark Bledsoe play where he goes very fast and then he's so strong that he bulls through uh, the point guard and then just lays it in. And he had one, and the Bucks needed that bucket, and it helped kind of fuel that run that they had. And then in the second half, there was Giannis grabs the rebound, outlets it to Bledsoe. Brogdon was already out front. He clears through the middle of the floor to the left corner. Middleton runs the right, right wing. Bledsoe comes up the right wing, and then as he's moving up the floor, goes right to left, kicks it to Brogdon in the in the left-hand corner. Brogdon hits that huge three, and it's just like, damn it, man. That's how you play basketball. Like, I just saw you process all of those things. Like, you ran that break perfectly. You started on the right side. You knew Chris was going to be a threat on the right wing so that the the backside defender would have to stay over there. And then at the last second, you moved over to the left side, hit Malcolm Brogdon for a three, and it was a huge shot and a huge play, and it was perfect. Maybe the pass was a little bit off. I understand that. But the the read that he made, the play that he made, was absolutely what you want out of a point guard. And then you contrast that with everything else he did tonight um and it's just like i i think we're probably to a point where he does he decide game seven like how many minutes he plays how many of those minutes are good and how many minutes of those are bad like during the first half um there was just moments where it was just like plezzo can't be on the floor like as bad as as delhi can be and as frustrating as delhi can be to watch it was like yeah, Delhi should be out there instead of him. And uh, I just don't know at this point uh, how you try to balance out the good that Bledsoe can bring, uh, which has obviously been much more limited in this series than the bad, but I don't think you can play Delhi for more than 20 minutes, so you have to get 28 out of Bledsoe, and you have to hope that it's not total trash. Yeah, this I think the Bledsoe situation sort of highlights one of the fundamental challenges of coaching in in a playoff series like this because you know there's always this pressure of like how much do you wait what you're seeing game to game and and you know quarter to quarter in a playoff series versus the greater body of work right i mean there there's like did any of us think that we would be talking about eric bledsoe who had two and a half really good months to end the year needing to be benched for Matthew Delvadova who no. you know didn't play for two months and never in a million years. let's be honest when he plays in fourth quarters like we're normally like talking about how terrible it is because teams don't really have to like care when he's trying to dribble to the basket <laughs> yeah. um and and in this series I mean he literally can't even dribble the ball up the court half the time right like they have to give the ball to Jabari or Giannis to dribble the ball up just because Delhi has to like back his way up the court um yeah. when when he's getting pressured so um so, yeah, I mean, this is kind of the challenge. It's like as a coach, you know, how much do you trust the guy who clearly is more talented, clearly has been a way better basketball player all year versus, um, you know, well, the guy who at least doesn't appear to have like, I don't know, like uh, uh, it, who isn't a head case right now. Right. Because Eric Bledsoe is just I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, he he actually start he, he started. I mean, he didn't really do much in the first quarter, but. You know, he hits a he hits that shot you mentioned. He had a pull up, and then he hits a three, 
in the second quarter and he's got seven points on three out of five shooting and suddenly you're thinking oh okay, maybe be okay. Is, is this maybe like season average blood so we're seeing right um and then he didn't make another shot the rest of the game he goes over five in the i don't know if it was the second half or you know he might have missed a couple in the late second as well but um but yeah it was just difficult you know i mean he's just pulling up for jump shots and i mean they were just giving him a couple threes a couple of those threes in the second half he was just wide open and again i mean he's not a great three-point shooter but he's a you know 34 35 percent guy normally so if he's wide open spotting up i mean he's i think he was 37 38 percent for most of the season he was a better spot up shooter than chris middleton statistically so you know he should shoot wide open catch and shoot threes i mean yeah you should shoot that but right now he's just i mean you just don't know what you're gonna get and some of his decision making and, you know, just his effort has just been kind of and it's like just his, you know, breaking of plays defensively has has been probably the most problematic thing in a lot of ways, because if he's just missing shots, that's one thing. Right. Yep. Um, but I think probably the most problematic thing has been the defense, although I don't know. I you know, honestly, I didn't notice that as much tonight, or at least I didn't notice the Celtics being able to exploit that as much. Um, but then again, like yeah, last game, the last couple of games were like kind of horrendous in that regard. So. The, yeah. the bar is, has been kind of low. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big storyline, right? I mean, if if Eric Bl- if ever, if anybody on this team is due to be, like, at least average or mean regress to something not <laughs> terrible, it's Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. But, you know, at this point, it, it's difficult. I mean, you know, and I know people are going to say, like, oh, we'll start Delhi or whatever. Well, I no. mean, again, like, you know, you're, they're not going to do it, right? Um, and, <laughs> I mean, Jesus, like, Eric, show a pulse, get lucky, have yeah. your head on straight like if ever there was one game you needed to do it i mean your team's been winning at you know has won three games mostly in spite of you right and has been close in a lot of these games largely in spite of blood so so um so yeah it, it's frustrating um and and it sucks because this is a guy that you know again at a minimum you wanted him to play well so that you know his trade value was okay going into the summer but um he obviously you know has been has played well below his abilities and i don't know i mean like a lot of people are like oh well, this is because bledsoe sucks it's like well come on like what we think this is like what bledsoe like is going to do over like a large sample like i mean there's no he hasn't done this over yeah. years of basketball so i don't know what is wrong with him now but um it's certainly terrible timing and you know we can only you know if we lose if the bucks lose this series we're going to look back at eric bledsoe as as the guy that that probably lost it for them, right? And again, yeah, it's absolutely. Not like, it's not. It's not like it's not like it's like a one player thing. But you know, again, um, role players have stepped up at times, and Giannis and Chris have have brought it, and then some. And so, you know, again, the the obvious guy who who is disappointed has been Bledsoe. So, um, so yeah, gonna... it's it's a it's a bad spot. And obviously, you know, again, Brogdon being good tonight really helps because Brogdon's been kind of, you know, Bledsoe's taken a lot of the heat, but Brogdon really hasn't been effective offensively throughout much of this series. Um, but he had that huge shot in, in game four and tonight he comes through with a big game and, and obviously he's, uh, he's made, made some plays as well. So you just hope that maybe Brogdon can be part of the solution. My, one of my notes, I guess, for this game would be just play Malcolm, Joe. Don't get cute. Like, I, I just don't, we've seen two games now. Uh, both road games, I believe, where Malcolm Brogdon plays 19 minutes. Game two, he plays 19 minutes. Game five, he plays 19 minutes. And I understand that he's struggling to shoot the ball um, all that well. I understand that he's struggling at times to score. Um, 
I, I just think what he does is so valuable for them. Even if he is at times over dribbling or um, not able to make an impact offensively, like just the physicality that he's able to play with defensively, all of the assignments he's able to switch across, uh, the fact that when things go wrong late in the clock, he tends to be able to get a shot off. Um, like th- to me, there's just so much that Malcolm Brogdon does well. And again, like he hasn't been the best player on the floor in any of these games, but he has been able to come out there and make an impact in a number of them. And I just think, I, I just can't imagine having your best closing lineups or really your best lineups, period, just not including him. And uh, like I just think... Like I said, 19 in Game 2, 19 in Game 5, and then 32, 29, 31, and 27. Like, I, I just think you have to find a way to keep Brogdon in the game and that secondary playmaking and the shooting. And, I mean, I just think back to Game 5, and I wonder if Malcolm Brogdon is in there instead of any number of players. Does he hit some of those threes that Giannis gets him? Like, just, he, he seemed ready for the moment. Let's say that. Like, he is not shrinking from it. He is ready for it. So, I don't know. Do you, do you agree? Do you think there there was some warranted sitting or, or whatever you want to say? Um, I just feel like he's had some moments throughout this series, and, and I think he can really make an impact. It definitely is interesting to look back on, what, two of the is it did the Bucks lose two games in which Brogdon didn't play in fourth quarters? Is that correct? Two um, and five. Yeah, I mean, again, and he hasn't always he hasn't been great in in a number of these games offensively, but um, certainly you know going back to that idea of you know how do you trade off what a guy's doing right now versus like what a guy you know a guy can do. Um, Brogdon is obviously one of those guys that you would say you know has proven over time and he's coming off an injury so that's also a factor but he's obviously a guy who's proven over time that you know he can make plays with the ball he can hit shots um you know and and obviously especially on the road in boston um you know he's had a couple big games in boston in his career and i i I would agree i think i think you're going to need malcolm brogdon to play big minutes in game seven i think especially with Bledsoe's unreliability, with Delhi's just natural limitations. Um, again, Brogdon, I, I don't know if Brogdon has played any minutes as the point guard effectively. Like, I, I, has he, I don't, I don't know if he's so, played no. at all. I think I think they pretty much had Delhi or... Uh, I, I guess, no, in because in, uh, Delhi didn't play in uh, in game one at all. Was it He didn't play in game one at all? I don't know. I, I can't remember. But Delhi obviously didn't really play much in the beginning of the series. Um, so I guess other than that, like of late, it's just been pretty much Malcolm as the as the go-to, you know, as, as basically as a shooting guard, right? Because he's starting at the two, and then it seems like that's really, he's always playing with a point guard. So, um, again, that secondary ball handling, especially when the Bucks' offense really breaks down, you know, he obviously, you can get to the baseline. He's able to make those finishes, which you saw again tonight, kind of craftily working around the baseline using his length and strength. Um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy who maybe he could be that X-factor guy, right? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a great point to bring up. Um do do we want to talk? I think an interesting thing tonight. Um, I think I want to talk about two guys for the Celtics. Um, one is is Marcus Smart, who we didn't we should have talked about him more and, and the impact he had in Game Five. I think. Um, yeah, you know, just, before the like that preview I did by myself, I hammered Marcus Smart. Like I talked about him for ten minutes, and then after, in our 
post game we didn't talk about it and yeah i I agree we definitely should have yeah and obviously part is because we're obviously buck centric and we don't talk about the other team's players as much but um but yeah i thought he i mean he again he's one of those guys who um (laughs) he marcus smarted that game up he yeah he misses a lot of shots but he draws fouls he frustrates you he draws charges he gets on the floor you know he makes plays he gets steals um he just does stuff you know he's he's the the classic like winning basketball plays guy right um and and that he was far, certainly in full display in in game five um and i thought tonight uh you know the bucks kind of i don't know if goaded him into shooting jump shots was, was the right word but well i will say this there were noticeably times where the bucks <laughs> defenders seemed to be uh kind of daring marcus smart to shoot jump shots or yeah. you know not not exactly dissuading marcus smart from shooting um and and you know you look at him it was sort of an anti Marcus Smart night um not in terms of shooting because he's a bad shooter but he's two out of nine scores six points that's obviously a plus um but you know really didn't fill up the box score otherwise right two boards one assist no steals no blocks one turnover one foul and I mean most importantly minus 14 right and and he's one of those guys if if Smart has a big negative in uh, in the plus minus column and you win those minutes I think that's really big, right? Because yep. he's one of those guys who oftentimes, just because of his energy and the way he plays, he can kind of buoy some some second unit minutes. And um, obviously it's a big plus if if you don't let him get under your skin, if you don't let him make plays. So uh, again, kind of the good and the bad of Marcus Smart here over those last couple of games. And you know, if Brogdon's the X factor, maybe for the Bucks in game seven, I think Smart might be that guy on the other side, right? Um, yeah. Probably more X factors for the Celtics just because they're they're they have like these young guys who you know you just don't, you just don't know what you're going to get game to game. You know Jalen Brown has not shot the ball well these past couple of games, kind of come back down to earth after kind of you know getting on fire in game four to help bring the Celtics back. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean there's there's kind of like just because the Celtics have like some talented guys but not really like consistent guys. Like it feels like everybody's a little bit of an X factor. Um, yeah. But uh, but I think another guy that is interesting um, is Shemi Ojale, who has started the last two games. And um, I, you know, we talked about the possibility of the Bucks starting Giannis uh, at center tonight, or at least going back to Thon. Obviously, you know, it's kind of made sense that that Prunty would take the he he made the change, but took the more conservative <laughs> change by putting it Thon. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, they, the Bucks don't start particularly well, but I thought, you know, Thon was, was mostly okay. I will say this. When Thon, I mean, I'm used to Thon, like, not grabbing rebounds, but, like, when Thon is, like, colliding with teammates and, like, literally taking rebounds that, like, Giannis is supposed to have and, like, just finding ways to screw them up so that the Celtics get the ball back or, like, catching the ball, rebounding it, and then, like, just when you think they're going to just okay okay we have the ball now let's move up the court then he finds a way to like have it deflected or stolen or well, I mean, Frank, I was just... you never complained about Don not being able to outlet the ball you complained about him not being able to rebound so this is a step-by-step process <laughs> he's rebounding the basketball now uh and now that he is rebounding he's gonna learn the intricacies of outletting the ball yeah something like that um but yeah anyway <laughs> that was frustrating but overall i mean Thon's switchability, I think that that's really one of the key things, right? Yep. Thon being able to switch is is really critical, especially with all the the handoffs and actions, those middle you know middle handoffs, weaves, kind of stuff that the the Celtics like to run. Um, having a guy who is big like a center, but 
um, and, and can protect the rim pretty well. He had a, only one block tonight, but it was a phenomenal block on, on Jalen Brown at the rim on a dunk attempt. Um, but I think, you know, Thon, again, that defensive mobility um, wasn't to the extent that we saw in games three and four tonight, but um, I thought he was important. And on the other side, them starting Ojale is so interesting because I didn't realize, I mean, I joked about how he had like horrible, you know, advanced metrics and his like PER was like Rashad Bond rookie levels and all that. Um, he was okay. So, uh, you know, people are probably familiar. Obviously, you listen regularly. We, we talk about real plus minus ESPN's, re, you know, sort of adjusted regularized plus minus stat, which sort of, you know, is, again, it's kind of like a plus minus stat, but it, it tries to, you know, basically account for the quality of competition, the quality of your teammates, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so it tries to basically say, you know, just because you're on a good team or you play with good players, like we're going to try to correct for that and actually get to what your core value, you know, what your impact is in terms of like the point differential of a game. And Shem, there are 520 guys in, ES, in, in the ESPN's RPM database. Shemi Ojale was 519th this year. He was minus six, which is like unbelievably horrible, mostly because he <laughs> is just like a complete and utter zero offensively. Again, he doesn't try to do anything. Um, you know, I, I don't know if people remember when we used to joke about the Milford men of the Bucks, which is a uh, Arrested Development reference, the, um, the school where boys are neither seen nor heard. Uh, and Shemi Ojale offensively is, is neither seen nor heard. Um, he misses his only shot attempt tonight. He was I, I'm guessing he might have been the worst offensive player in the league in terms of RPM this year. He just doesn't do anything. Yeah. Um, he doesn't crash the boards. And I think it's just fascinating because he's in there because the thesis is he can help shut down Giannis. And tonight, obviously, Giannis has a slow start, but, you know, eventually gets going and neither Ojale nor Horford could stop him. I mean, uh, Ojale getting put on his backside on that filthy Woo! Euro step um, was probably Jennings the highlight. Brandon Jennings and Jet killing it yeah. on the sideline. Brandon Jennings and Jet mocking Semi Ojale just literally having his ankles broken by Giannis's Euro step is probably the highlight of the night for me. Um, Thon was doing his, like, little... <laughs> sideline euro step thing when he was on the bench too on that play um but Oshley is so interesting because by and again like i don't want to over over index on just Oshley's impact but i mean the first like i i might have to check again but i mean in the first four games of the series there was all there was there was one team that had a major advantage on the board there was one team that was generating significant numbers of, of second shot opportunities it was not the Milwaukee Bucks um and the Celtics used second chances to to really help them you know help buoy their offense because their offense oftentimes doesn't you know they don't necessarily shoot very well they're not super talented offensively but they played big a fair amount they started obviously Baines with Horford in in those games um, we saw some of Monroe in the first like three games I think game four they stopped playing them all together pretty much we saw them briefly tonight um, but they played generally played bigger right and these last couple games um, they've played very small Horford plays 33 minutes tonight uh, Aaron Baines plays nine minutes and I don't I don't even know I, I'd have to even like go back like who the hell was the center in the rest of those minutes? I don't. I don't even know like what, how the how the Celtics were doing this. But you know, last game the Celtics didn't get any offensive rebounds. Tonight they get six, which again is uh, a very very low offensive rebound rate. I mean, Bucks had an eighty seven percent defensive rebound rate, which is phenomenal. Um, and it just seems like there's sort of this chain reaction of, you know, Ojale is in theory your Giannis stopper, I guess. Um, although I think some of the stats suggest. When Giannis shoots, he's actually been able to score on on Ojale. <laughs> he he certainly did as the game went on. 
Um, and having Ojale in there, I mean, it handicaps you know your creativity, your playmaking offensively. You get and you don't get any benefit of offensive rebounding with him out there. Yep. And so I, again, I don't think it's a coincidence. And, and again, you know, game seven, there's no you know. Let's just say this. Game seven, baby! Yeah, let's just say I want Brad Stevens to play the you know worst RPM guy uh, as many minutes as possible because, again, um, a Bucks defense that you know has had its issues this season um, doesn't really need to care about him. And the last two games since he's been in the starting five, the Celtics have not really scored, and they haven't gotten offensive rebounds. And, I again, like the defense for the Celtics was obviously very good in the last game, but... I don't. I just don't think that's a winning trade at this point. And again, in a one-game sample, anything can happen. Maybe Semi Ojale hits four threes next game. Yeah. But um, you know, hey, if you give me the the opportunity, like, do you want Brad Stevens starting a negative six RPM guy? Yeah, I want that. <laughs> give me the negative six RPM guy, um, and and I'll take my chances because um, again, Baines hasn't been great. I enjoy watching Giannis posterize Baines, um, but he's certainly, I think, brought some things, and certainly in the second chance department, um, he's hurt the Bucks at times. But and, and he's knocked down some threes. He's a better three point shooter than than Shemi Ojale. Um, so so anyway, I think that's a really interesting thing to watch. And again, I mean, if the Bucks, God forbid, somehow pull this out, um, I, I I think that the Ojale move might be a big part of that. So I don't know. I'm really curious to see if Brad Stevens sticks with it in game seven, you know, does he have a much shorter leash? It'll be interesting to see. Cause I certainly hope that they continue to look at Ojale as their Giannis stopper. Cause um, again, I'm, I'm going to bet on Giannis in that matchup. I'll give you this message from the official spokesman for Giannis Adetokounmpo. You don't stop Giannis Dedekumbo. Giannis Dedekumbo stops Giannis Dedekumbo. Like I, I didn't even know until we recorded this podcast. I didn't know that some people were mentioning Semi Ojale is part of the reason that the Celtics were able to contain or stop Giannis or whatever it was in Game Five. Like Giannis decided to be passive. I said it after the game. Like he decided to pass the ball instead of shoot the ball. And when he does that, he's done that throughout the year. A lot of the times it's when he has five fouls. Um, other times I guess it'll just be when he's in in the mood to pass. Um, and like this, don't get me wrong, the Celtics do a great job. They have a, a wall always set up for, for Giannis, and they're going to make it tough on him. But walls haven't stopped Giannis before. Like He goes through walls regularly. He is ready to go through anyone uh, at any moment. And it, uh, to me, like, I just think if you, if you think you have a Giannis stopper, you don't like that, that person, <laughs> that person doesn't exist. Like it, if you, if you think you have a plan to stop Giannis and it includes a strong wind of wing defender with a couple other big wings that you can throw at him, And then you have a rim protector, like say the Miami heat do. Okay. Then you're on to something. Then I will say maybe you have a plan to stop Giannis. But there is no Giannis stopper. That person does not exist. Uh, so, I, I, like I said, I was kind of flummoxed when you said that that was kind of a, a notion that some people were throwing out. And hopefully we didn't espouse that idea on this podcast at all because that it's not something that I believe in. And I'm just curious, especially with 
Tyler Zeller being such a negative in this series that you go away from lineups that could really punish that when your offense is, you know, kind of as as bad as the Celtics offense is and as much as it's struggling, now you get to give the Bucks an out and give them fewer minutes that they need to play a traditional center, like that's gotta be a huge win. The Bucks got by with thirty six minutes from Maker and Zeller tonight. Like that that's huge. And if you put in a guy like Greg Monroe, do you think Don Maker picks up a fall or two on Greg Monroe? I would guess that he does. Um, and the same thing with Tyler Zeller. And uh, I just think uh, the the Ojale play is fascinating to me. Um, I think it, it had a certain amount of surprise uh, before Game Five, but now in Game Six, I don't. I mean, that's just such a killer. Twenty two minutes from Ojale, zero points. He takes one shot. And he does, I mean, four rebounds. Like, that. that's, the Bucks are going to love that. Um, it, any moment you can get a guy out on the floor for 22 minutes and do that, like, I, I think that's a huge one, a huge win. And then you mentioned Smart. Yeah, I think, he, again, it's going to be interesting to see in Boston kind of what he's like because in game five, uh, he had some moments. He obviously had uh, a couple plays late in that game, but he also had five turnovers. And now here in game six, two for nine from the field. And as you mentioned, he, offensively, that's not really what he's on the floor to do. But for the Bucks, again, another player that's out there that's hurting an already limited offense, I, that feels like a win. Like it, he, his contribution has to be so good defensively, um, and he has to be able to make such an impact in all of the other things other than offense that – the Bucks just, uh, I feel like, would take that as well. So uh, I think Game 7, man, there's a bunch of interesting stuff there um, as we attempt to figure out exactly kind of how they're going to go about it and uh, the lineups that we're going to see and players that we're going to see because Greg Monroe didn't play last game. Greg Monroe played three minutes this game. Baines plays nine minutes tonight. Like, if you do want to go back to big lineups, you're putting two guys in that, aren't going to be that, that aren't going to have a good rhythm like they just haven't been on the floor so I I don't know I, I don't know which direction the Celtics go in but man it's going to be fun game seven baby game seven um yeah I, I don't know uh any any other thoughts on this one I, I I thought Jabari had some moments defensively again tonight um uh, obviously there were negative moments which I think there always will be with Jabari, but uh, just the fact that there was—I think he had what a tie-up. Uh, he had a couple tips. Uh, there was, a, I think, a sequence in the first half where he had um, he had a dunk. Then he helped force um, Marcus Morris contested uh, jumper, like fading away. Then he came down and he hit a three. Did he hit a three tonight? Yeah, he hit his one three for the night. And then on the next play, there was another. Somehow he was involved defensively somehow. And it's just like if if he can put together, and again, like it doesn't have to be for the whole game because I think with the level of defense Jabari plays that that might be too much to expect that for the entire game he's going to be good defensively. But in 26 minutes, if 13 of those minutes can be positive defensively, like that's a huge win for the Bucks. Yeah, and again, I mean, I, I 
it, it'll be really interesting to see how these teams start, right? I, I would, I was a little surprised. It seemed like both teams kind of came out nervy in each of the last two games to some extent. I mean, yeah. we saw pretty slow starts offensively by both teams in consecutive games. Um, and, and that's interesting. Obviously, the Bucks came out, uh, you know, and, and again, it came out pretty fast um, in in game three, obviously. But um, it'll be interesting to see how these teams come out. You know, is is one team tighter than the other? Can one team shake that off? Um, you know, again, I don't trust the Bucks to come out playing free flowing, uh, nope. you know, uh, expressive and creative basketball. Um, they're going to need Giannis and Chris to probably set the tone and then. You know, again, can any of these roles players step up and make shots? You know, Tony Snell started against, was missing shots early tonight, then ends up hitting two threes. Um, you know, like literally, like, you just need that. If he can go two for six from three in Boston, that'd be great because he's all for Boston yeah. at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. If he can, literally, all you need is two. Like that, that is so big on the road just to get six points from Tony Snell. And again, that's. It's not a ton. Like, that's just confidently stepping into threes and hitting a couple of them. Yeah. And, smart. I mean, Smart is a guy on the other side. I mean, he had, like, a, a few-minute spell on Middleton where he defended him really well. He forced that turnover. Yep. Um, and it seemed like, oh, crap, Marcus Smart is doing Marcus Smart things. But over the course of the game, it just felt like – it felt like the Marcus Smart effect was more Marcus Smart missing shots yep. than Marcus Smart making it up for it with defense and kind of, like – you know, toughness and drawing fouls and doing the stuff that, that he normally does to kind of compensate for his lack of shooting. So, um, again, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I I think if I'll pick, if I'll pick a, an X factor, I'll say smart for the Celtics and I'll say, I'll say Brogdon for, for the Bucks. you know, guys who, um, against Brogdon obviously has been starting smarts coming off the bench, but you know, sort of can play similar roles as far as like secondary creators and, um, guys who have maybe kind of atypical games in very different ways. Um, but certainly both guys that at times have shown they can make very big plays and, and perform at a high level on the big stage. So, um, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, I, again, you just hope the bucks can come into this game and, and I, I don't know how to say it, but just sort of, you know, like it just feels like they've, and again, I don't want to say they've come a long way in the series, but they have, right? I mean, they've shown, they've shown some backbone as a team, yeah, right? I absolutely. mean, they've, they've shown some things that we've they seen could either. Tonight. Yeah, I mean, they've shown. I mean, we saw that, right? I mean, the Bucks, um, in the last couple of game sixes um, at home, they lost by uh, seven million points against the Bulls <laughs> a few years ago, and. Last year, um, you know, they they look like they're about to lose by seven million, and then end up staging a furious comeback that falls short. Tonight, they play from the front and uh, and take care of business. But again, you just hope that they can give themselves a chance on Saturday, right? That they don't do anything that really hurts themselves tonight. Both teams really taking care of the ball very well. I think that's been really interesting. How many times we've seen both of these teams, um, you know, just sort of protect the ball really well, and tonight. Um, Bucks have 11 total turnovers. Um, Celtics have nine. Um, I mean, again, both teams really taking care of the ball. Very slow-paced game in terms of like the total pace number. Um, but the Bucks also, despite that slow pace number, 25 to four edge and fast break points are plus 14 in the paint. Um, again, that's that's sort of how uh, how they can win basketball games. And you know, they didn't do a great job from the line, 13 out of 21 tonight. Um, but they didn't really lose, you know, they didn't lose the game from three or from the line. Celtics were 16 out of 19. Um, 
and uh, and the Bucks were uh, let's say eight out of twenty six from three. Celtics ten out of thirty six. So again, it's sort of one of those things like um, I felt I felt like the one frustrating thing was I felt at times the Bucks kind of broke down a little bit at the point of attack. Guys got kind of free runs towards the basket, and and Giannis or or Thon had to kind of rotate over and try to you know basically contest a shot, and that led to kind of kickouts and ball movement. And that would you know again the Bucks defensively a ninety six point five defensive rating. You'll take that any day. That was really good. Defense obviously overall performed very well. No second shots, um, but by the same token, they definitely broke down at times. Um, and uh, and again, I think that's one of those things like not letting the Celtics go off from three, um, being able to stay close to them, making enough shots so that you're not playing at a huge deficit from three. I think that'll be a real key in the next game. And again, um, you know, all those different things, all those ways to get extra possessions, whether it's turning the other team over more than you turn it over, whether it's, you know, second chance points um, for the Bucks. I mean, they haven't been a good offensive rebounding team all year. So you just hope that the Celtics continue to not hurt you as they have the last couple of games. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's exciting. I mean, a series win is you know 17 years in the making so um again i don't you know i'm I'm not gonna bet on the bucks but damn they're due and they they have every chance to beat to win this they've had every chance to win this series and they have one more on saturday and um you know you just hope that they can they can pull it off and pull together a a great performance because i think bucks fans deserve it and i think this team has shown that that most of them probably deserve deserve it too at this point. Ugly or well executed? Where where are you going with Game Seven? Because I feel like it can only go like there, there's not an in between there. Like it's either going to be a slugfest or they're actually going to hit shots and play at a really high level. Both sides. Which, which way are you going? Um, I don't know if it's going to be. Um, I don't. I, again, it, it's one of those things where I don't know if it's going to be really sloppy, but I can see both teams missing a lot of shots. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been interesting. We've seen. We've seen a, a couple of games, a number of games now where teams haven't necessarily shot it that well. I mean, the Bucks have shot the ball well pretty much every game except game five. Um, and, and that's another thing, too. I mean, they can continue to shoot 50% from the field every night. Um, you, you'd like your chances, especially if you can not turn the ball over. So I think if you can just take care of the ball, make good decisions. And, you know, again, it's just, a, you know, the old make or miss league thing. I, I, again, I don't know. I don't, I don't expect these teams to have a shootout offensively. Um, and, and, but I think it'll probably be, you know, maybe some nerves early. Um, and then, you know, again, if you can keep it c- close in the fourth quarter, then who's going to step up? Who's going to make shots over under one ninety five? Um, one ninety five. Um, I'll say, oh God, I, sh- I feel like by definition, I should take the, the under just because you have two young teams the road team maybe yep. is a little time more talented but they're they haven't won a game on the road and the the home team is a young team that you know maybe a little nervy just by the the circumstance but part of me feels like at least one of these i don't know i, I feel like these teams should be able to score points again but um i'll take the under just based on the premise of <laughs> of the young team at home and the not trustworthy team being on the road uh, 195 easily accomplished in the first four games of this series, uh, not accomplished in the last two games of this series. So I don't know. I think, it, man, this is going to be fun. Um, game seven, baby. That's all I got, right? Like, that's where we are, and we're going to see where it goes. So uh, Bucks win game six, 97-86. Giannis Dedekumbo 
12 points, 5 rebounds in the fourth quarter to give him a total of 31 points, 14 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals on the night. Uh, Chris Middleton starts off slow, 4 first quarter turnovers, uh, but then he goes 7 of 8 from the field, 16 points, 5 rebounds, an assist, and a steal. And then Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, someone sent me, I should really find this on Twitter, um, someone sent me Big Shot Brog as uh as a hashtag which i kind of liked uh he's he's been hitting some big shots in this series uh as you think through game one uh you think through game four that corner three on the right side and then uh tonight that corner three on the left side malcolm brogdon 16.6 rebounds two assists for him in the bucks winning effort for frank madden i'm eric name this has been lockdown bucks we will talk to you this weekend